are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Greetings, happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here on Westwood One. My name is Steve Dace. This is today's podcast powered by CRTV. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. And if you want to join us on a Theology Thursday by letting us know what you think about what we think, Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, and the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We just uh, concluded production for today's CRTV program. Todd, Aaron, I don't know if you guys have a, a little tease of what's to come you want to let the audience know about. Uh, Aaron, I'll start with you. Obviously, the big news uh, talked about on the show today was uh, Anthony Kennedy's retirement and uh, a few replacements, apparently, that are in the top five now for for the White House and considering their replacement. And it, it's all the names are okay, uh, and we got into discussing the pros and cons of a few of those names uh, and really what needs to be done from conservatives right now and the bottom line is this is the time to put maximum pressure on the president to make the right decision here i also noticed something as well um this this week with a a new leftist outrage every single uh, every single day it seems you guys notice this the relation between how outraged the left gets is directly proportional or directly related to how uh, predictable it is (laughs) because hmm. you see uh, you see them get outraged dialing up to 12 13 14 and it's like yeah it's more predictable and th- one day it's uh, you know one day it's uh, we're detaining children at the ice detention facility we gotta abolish ice next day it's Anthony Kennedy is retiring we gotta rein in ju- the judiciary it's always proportional to uh, the, 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 the the relationship between how predictable it is is proportional to how outraged they are it's interesting have you guys also noticed the outrage debate has gone from i can't believe we are temporarily separating children from their parents who come to this country illegally at the border to i can't believe we may stop permanently separating children from their parents who are actual american citizens have you noticed how quickly the debate changed there as well Mm -hmm. yeah todd uh, well, to confirm Aaron's point, uh, one of the things I was looking at yesterday is if if this would be the thing, the slap in the face, the cold splash of water that would perhaps wake up uh, Democrats and get them to say, "Oh, okay, let time to be grown ups." <laughs> so, <laughs> no. Sorry, no, no, no chance of that. No chance of that. I mean, the the. the Really, I, I, I'm surprised people haven't started lighting themselves on fire. Maybe that started happening. I mean, Twitter is like, I'm progressive. Twitter is like, uh, uh, it's over, folks. Uh, lamentations. Yes. Yeah, it's now, remarkable. Now, Twitter's not America. We keep no, saying that. Correct. But it does, as we also keep saying, drive a lot of the coverage that mm-hmm. you see in the media. Yes. Because it's where a lot of media heavyweights and intellectual heavyweights, particularly on the left, Correct. hang out and engage Which, and interact with one another. And uh, I do think, I think you can learn more about 
this segment of the Democratic Party of their base that we're trying, you know, we've been trying to decipher how much of the left is this really, right? I think you can learn more about that leftist uh, enclave of America on Twitter than any other segment of America That's exactly on Twitter. Right. That's exactly Regardless right. if they're registered Democrats, Republicans, don't vote at all, if they go to church or not at all, that 15 to 20 percent of the country that doesn't want to live with the rest of us unless they can tell us how to behave and believe, right? I think you can learn more about them via Twitter than any other cross-section of Americana because they freaking live there. Yes. They live there. I mean, this is, this is their city gate, Really, yeah, it is to them what Reddit forums are to the alt right. If you know what I'm saying, okay. Four chan is to the anarchists. Yes, that's a good analogy as well. Yes, okay. So you learn a lot about them. I, I don't know how much you learn about a single mom who votes Democrat because she doesn't have health care for her kids and she lives in, you know, uh, uh, you know, Montana. I don't know how much you learn about her on Twitter, that Democratic voter. But this one, you learn a lot about them. And they, they're not even lit. They are lighting themselves on fire. The stuff they're saying is just not possible. They're, they're articulating things. And I'm not talking the typical you know, debate conservatives have had with Republicans for years. No, you don't tactically disagree with me. You just don't want to stand up for what I believe. No, I mean, they are asserting things that cannot be accomplished in, either, in, in any of the nine realms. If the multi, here in the multi, it can't happen on Midgard, Asgard, nowhere. Nowhere can these things occur. Nowhere. I mean, they're, they're, they're literally pushing back on gravity, laws of physics, but they are doing it with great and tremendous certainty. Good luck running in the 2020 Democratic presidential primary, all right? As you try to figure out who's my base, these people on Twitter, or that single mom who wants health care for her kid in Montana, right? How do, I, how do you concoct a message that reaches both of those people. Even Don't think I'm nuts. I'm really giving you a variation of what Hillary Clinton was lamenting a few weeks ago yeah. when she said, hey, I don't know how to reach 40% of the Democrats in Iowa who identify as socialists. I like making money. She literally said this. Well, it, that problem isn't getting any lesser since 2016. I mean, we had a fake news or not clip you have to see today where this, this communist gal that just won that seat in New York in the Democratic primary is literally going around the media contradicting Nancy Pelosi and she's literally saying I am the embodiment of every straw man commercial the Republican Party has ever wanted to run and now I'm going to give them the copy points to do so you know so this is going to be fascinating to watch how this evolves or devolves uh, going forward so if you want to watch today's CRTV show CRTV.com promo code DACE is how you can get a discounted subscription. How discounted? Just a quarter a day. CRTV.com promo code DACE. We have a very special guest coming up today as well that you do not want to miss. All right. CRTV.com promo code DACE. All right. Let's get to a little theology Thursday. And I want to touch on a subject we've already addressed a couple of times recently in various uh, Theology Thursdays. But I want to touch on it again. Because I think, you know, there, there are certain apologetic automatics that are always relevant theologically. Is there a God? Is human nature basically good? What's the purpose of human life? What does God expect from me? Which of the gods, which of those claiming to be God is actually God? Which religion is true, right? There are, can, can, is, is the Bible the literal word of God? Can that be proven? Is the Bible infallible? There are certain topics 
whether we're in a pre-Reformation era, a Reformational era, a post-Reformational era, whether we are in the first century, whether we're in the 21st century, whether we're in the Southern Hemisphere or the Western Hemisphere, whether we are in, um, uh, we are the Christians of Cappadocia or pilgrims on a Mayflower. There are certain automatics that are always relevant theologically because they are transcendent themes, meaning they transcend time, space, cultures, customs, eras, etc., right? Yes. Okay. And then there are themes that at times may be transcendent, but are absolutely germane to the era in which you live. Because they speak to, once you have answered all the aforementioned automatic issues correctly, you're now left with the question Peter asks. Francis Schaeffer's greatest selling book is this title. How then shall we live? Now that I've got, now that all those things I said are always relevant at any time in human history to ponder and discuss and debate, now you're on the right side of all of those, of of that equation. You're now left then with, how do I live this? And that's going to mean different things, by the way, at different times. It means something different if you live in a, a, a self-governing republic like us than it does if you live in a monarchy where you have little to zero civil rights. That doesn't, God's word doesn't change. Our ability to maximize the opportunity to live it out might, depending on what level of freedom and liberty we have to exercise our own conscience, okay? And what we're going to talk about again today is relatively new to this culture. It has, it has, been, it has been necessary to practice it at other times in this culture, like a very famous letter written by a well-known historical influencer of the 20th century about a half century ago. But by and large, believers in American culture have not had to wrestle with what this particular passage of Scripture means in the time in which they live because they have been blessed to live in a culture largely inspired by the Scriptures. Now, in other times... Believers had to learn, this would have been their catechesis 101. Right now, that's essentially how we're going to live out what we believe, how we're going to live this out, how we're going to do this, how we're going to live out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's what a catechesis is. That's what we're going to do. How we take this from the intellectual to the practical. Probably at no other point in Christian history on this planet has has what we're about to talk about been new except for the very first people Paul wrote these, these, these words to, because they were the first Christian people. But ever since then, there has never been a time that true, mere Christianity has really been the dominant foundation of a, of a, of a civilization at its origin, except for this one. Christianity has invaded other cultures. Similar to what Jesus told his disciples would happen in Matthew when he takes them to Caesarea Philippi. He told them, hey, you're about to be 
on the front lines of the ultimate urban renewal program. And whether it's St. Boniface hacking down the, the, the Odin tree or numerous examples, St. Patrick and the snakes in Ireland, numerous examples where Christianity has paved over the old paganism and urban renewaled the place with Christianity. There are not, however, a lot of examples of Christian people coming to a new land, a new world. And saying, we're going we're gonna to start this out trying to live by the New Testament. This is about the only one. Okay? And so this is new to us. Because by the grace of God, we've not been threatened yet with having to game theory out this moral calculus we're going to talk about today. But that large crowd of witnesses the writer of Hebrew talks about, that's cheering us on to finish the race. This was Thursday to them. Even at times where there were, even at times in a, like the post Reformation world when Christianity is sweeping Europe. Listen, man, if, if Mary, Queen of Scots, was in charge and you were a Protestant, you better know what this portion of Scripture means. And then if you were one of those French Huguenots and the Protestants were in charge and they, and they put you in prison and you create the 12 Days of Christmas poem so that you can remember your sacraments and your catechesis, you better know what this means. But there's really never been a time since the first century that what we're going to talk about was really new to a Christian people because they were faced with this specter, this gauntlet, regularly. Ed Schick is one of our listeners. Ed writes, I've listened to your criticism of Jeff Sessions at least twice, and I've, I've seen a number of other reports on what he said, and I still don't understand your reasoning as to why you say he should not have used Romans 13 as the basis for law enforcement on the subject of immigration law. All government leaders should memorize this passage and cite it every time they go to enforce the law of the land when people oppose them. I think there are two issues, the care of children of those who break the law and the consistent and firm enforcement of immigration law. Maybe you are saying that Romans 13 is not the basis for how we deal with the care of children. I don't think that is what Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions said or what he meant. Please give evidence if you think he did mean this. I do believe Jeff Sessions was saying the enforcement of immigration law should continue regardless of the problem of the care for the children. This is important because most of those who are faking outrage on this issue are really trying to roll back the enforcement of immigration law. Jeff Jeff Sessions was pushing back against the underlying agenda, and I think he was right by standing behind U.S. law and using the Bible for further proof of the need to not just have laws, but to enforce them. Please give evidence to the contrary if you have it, because I could not find it in your videos. If you're, now, just to provide some context here, Jeff Sessions quoted from Romans 13 when citing why illegals ought to obey our immigration laws and why American citizens ought to want the government to enforce immigration laws. Okay, um, Ed, I don't believe Romans 13 has anything to say whatsoever about the care of children one way or the other. I don't. So the first part of your passage, of your email, no, I wasn't going there at all. I agree with the second part of your email, actually, that I believe, I believe Jeff Sessions believed 
that he was using Romans 13 to do what you articulated. I believe that's what he believes. I just believe what he believes is wrong. Because that's not what Romans 13 is in its full context. Let me give you another example. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Aaron, does the Bible say this? Yes. It's exactly what I just said. Does it say that? Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes. Yeah, those are the exact words. Did I put those words in their proper context? Uh, no. No. Because I could, even though the Bible clearly says this, if I stop there, I could use this to justify universalism, for example. You can believe whatever you want, behave however you want. There is no hell. Love wins, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love wins. Let his son be tortured, executed in public, so that you can still go on and believe in a bunch of demon fate gods. I could, could I not do that, Aaron? Or could, yeah. Todd, could I do that? They, more people do. Okay. So I got to finish, finish the statement, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so whomever will believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The clear implication for those who don't believe in him is what? You will, will not perish. Have. They will perish and they will not have eternal life. It's not life. even an implication. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that, that, that's simple logistics. Yeah. If this is what is required, according to the New Testament, if this is what is required to obtain salvation from perishing and eternal life with God, if you do not do this, then clearly. It is at least implicitly, I, you, we would all argue explicitly saying, therefore, if you don't do those things, you don't get those things that the people that do get, right? Yes. Now, is that the proper context of John 3.16? Yes. That's what it says. Does Romans 13 say to obey the civil government? Yes. But that's not all that it says, actually. I have here Romans 13, the passages in question from the ESV. These are the words of St. Paul. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God is sovereign, period. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, there have been pastors like John MacArthur. I've, had several, I've seen several Reformed pastors that have used this passage to say the American Revolution was unbiblical because they just should have taken whatever King George III, no matter how, no matter how long the train of abuses were, they should have taken his usurpations upon their God-given liberties because the Bible clearly says you always obey the government. I'm glad you went straight there. No gray area. Yes. Let's just go right to the crux of the matter. If I stop reading right here, could that be a reasonable exegetical conclusion if I just stopped reading right here? Yeah. I think it's a reasonable conclusion of our letter writer. Yeah. If I stop reading right here, absolutely, that's a reasonable exegetical conclusion. Should I stop reading right here, though, is the question. Should I stop? Are these the final words of the passage? No. So what should I probably keep doing? Read on. Read on. Keep reading. Keep reading. Okay? 
For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant. Who's the servant in this passage? The earthly ruler is. Therefore, who's in charge? God. God. There's a chain of command here, right? God is in charge. The earthly ruler is his servant, which means God, if you are the servant, the guy above you is your what? Master. That's what it means. For he is your he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear this sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. He is here to punish evil. And that's how we preserve and reward good. Nowhere in this passage for our leftist friends is there any argument, and nor does this argument exist anywhere in the scriptures, that government is the promoter of the social good. It is the defender of it by punishing wickedness. In the Old Testament, how were kings judged whether they were good, whether they did this? So-and-so did not go up to the high places and tear down the the Asherah poles. So-and-so allowed the worship of Baal and was a wicked king. So-and-so, Josiah, went to the high places, burnt them to ash, took down all the, the temples of Baal, Dagon, Chemosh, Molech, and he was a good king. He punished evil. He was like the only good king after the uh, first yes. yeah. two that's out why, of three. That's why, I went, that's why I use his name a lot. He's kind of my go-to. Yeah. He's like when I first wrote Rules for Patriots and Scott Walker was like all my examples. Yeah. <laughs> like Josiah's like almost all your examples of the way it's supposed to actually work. Okay. But... Um, this is the role of the state, its proper role, the punishing of evil. Should I just stop reading there? Are these the last words of the passage? No, I should continue. Therefore, therefore, so we just pointed out the proper role of the state is to punish evil, right? Correct. Therefore, What does the word therefore mean? Because of? In light of? Due to? It's a transition from a premise. When a premise is established, therefore means you are to believe and respond thusly. So the premise of government is to punish evil. That's the premise of human government. Therefore, when human government punishes evil, one must be in subjection Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, the punishing of evil. And as William Penn, it's it's attributed to many people that originally belonged to William Penn. If men were angels, we would need what? Government. Government. Men aren't angels, so that's why we need it. You pay taxes for the punishing of evil, the protection, therefore, of your rights, your property, your person. Not do good or pet causes or the Saturn temple down the road. 
for this cause. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. King George III, was he being a minister of God? He was being a minister of King George. Yeah, he was essentially saying, I'm like God. I'm God around here. Yeah. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. What very thing is Paul addressing? What very thing? The punishing of evil. The true earthly minister of God understands his primary role is to be an avenging angel, a punisher of evil. Pay to all what is owed to them. To them. To them. I know we don't get pronouns right now in America. I just went through this on Twitter last weekend. Apparently them's tough for some of you. Okay? Pay all to what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Should I stop there? No, because there's more text. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And that's where the text here ends. Now, how do we interpret these words? One of my best friends contacted me over the weekend on another issue that's a hot-button issue right now in the church in America on a corporate level, and it's a hot-button issue individually in his church. And he's struggling with it because he loves his church. Him and his wife both do. They do a lot of, they've done a great work in his family and in their community. Intellectually, he's not really comfortable with where they're going on this one issue, though. And so he contacted me and asked me what I thought. And I told him, what your church is advocating on this is nowhere endorsed in the scriptures. Nowhere. He came back with a few verses um, that he thought seemed to hint at this. I responded to him this way. We need to see, how do we know what these verses meant? How do we know? Because we could backseat drive this thing with a 21st century lens on everything, right? Sure. You could do that with all kinds of things. But one way you know what the verse means is how the people who wrote it and it was written to lived it out. It seemed reasonable, right? When the people who wrote those words and then the people they wrote them to received them, what did they do? What did they do with them? How did they put them into practice? See, that's construction of a narrative. What we often do in our postmodern era is reconstruction or destruction. Like you sit around your Bible study and, and you and your pal say, what does this verse mean to you? No one gives a damn, nor should they ever give a rat's ass. Your opinion doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Go to hell. What you find is everybody in every cage down there had an, was, is there for their opinions. It doesn't, no, doesn't matter what it means to you. What matters is what does it mean. There's the difference. And then when you find out what it means, that's when it matters what it means to you. Nice. <laughs> right? Am I or am I not on the right side of this equation? That's when it matters. Okay? But what first matters is what does it mean? That's what actually matters. What does it mean? 
Doesn't matter. Don't sit around your Bible. If you're at a Bible study and like, and they say, well, what does this mean? You? Just get up and walk out. Yep. We're done here. Don't stay. You're, you're in the wrong. This, they don't serve your kind there. Segregate yourself. Leave. Get out. All right? Doesn't mean that's a terrible question. Postmodernism, it's awful. What they do in literature classes in universities nowadays is they'll take something like Laura Ingalls Wilder. Use that example, because that's in the news this week. Something written like 150 years ago and decide they know what it means right now. Project their own meaning upon it. It actually means what the person who wrote it means, not what you think it means. Did you write those words? No? Then really your interpretation of what they mean and you know, $7.85 will buy you a very small cup of coffee at Starbucks. If it doesn't mean what the original author wanted it to mean, it is meaningless. Well said. So how did the man, Paul, who wrote these words, how do we know what they mean? How did his life end, Todd? Uh, that would be being beheaded. He was beheaded. Oh, that's an isolated example. Okay. Peter mirrors almost these exact words in one of his epistles towards the end of the New Testament, correct? Almost these exact words. How did his life end? Uh, it's crucified upside down. He was crucified upside down. Why, why were those men beheaded and crucified upside down? Uh, adhering uh, to the gospel to the last jot and tittle. Yeah. You want to know why they were beheaded and crucified upside down? Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, how do we know what honor is owed to whom between the church and the state? Well, we do know. In fact, in Paul, in Peter's case, he would have seen firsthand what this teaching looks like because he was standing like three feet away when Jesus stood up and said, Render yep. under Caesar that which is Caesar's. Render under God that which is God's. What is Caesar's? Paul tells us right here in Romans 13. When Caesar, even if he is a bad Caesar, is punishing evil, how would we know what is evil? Think Paul means what Caesar, what, do you think Paul thinks what Nero thinks is evil is evil? You think that's what Paul is saying? Who defines what is evil to Paul? God. So even when a bad ruler is doing what God says is right, because Paul addresses this later when he talks about unbelievers being a law unto themselves, we know instinctively what is good. That's not what total depravity means. Total depravity doesn't mean we don't know what is right and wrong. Total depravity means we don't want to do it. <laughs> That's what it means. And when we find out we know, we just put things in our minds to block out that knowledge so we can just go and do what we want to do. That's what it means. That's Romans 1. We suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. So even when a bad ruler, Diocletian, Nero, Claudius, pick some of the worst Roman rulers, when a bad Roman ruler, Hadrian, does what God says is right, obey. When a good Roman ruler says to do what God says is bad, do not. Because who's the master here in this relationship? Who's the master? God. God. Who's the servant? The ruler. Whom should you obey? Ultimately, in any chain of command, if you were, if you are a, a slave in the, in, the, in the biblical sense, slavery is defined by a slave to the world or a slave to Christ, right? That's what it means biblically. So if you are a subject to a kingdom, is the earthly authority above you in the hierarchy? Yeah. Is he the highest 
threshold on said hierarchy. No. No, it's why we're never called a slave to the state. That's ever. right. That's exactly right. And it's why the that I mean that's why that term is used so often by fall total allegiance to a specific and it is the highest one. Sessions is God. Sessions takes is taking this out of context. He's making the right argument actually, but from a wrong trajectory. Yep. A wrong premise. And it, and and in the era in which we live, add into the rest of you. We better have this passage of Scripture down pat. Down pat. We better know it like the backs of my hand. Okay? Because we are in an era now where the state is looking, is looking to usurp God's authority over us. And that's the crucial point in that he's... The letter writer is how do you, how do you not know this? I mean, this happens to work in your advantage this time. It it regularly works against you. Yes. So why are you jumping so quickly on we, Sessions bandwagon? This is why you saw the left respond with, "Well, slave masters use Romans thirteen to justify racist slavery," and they're right. They yeah. did. We don't want to make that argument. They were wrong. Right. They were wrong. Okay. Because what's the last line? Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Do we give honor to murderers, blasphemers, kidnappers? We certainly shouldn't. Not the honor they're asking for. Do we wreck, do we affirm them as made in the image of God? Or do we offer them the same, convic- the same redemption and forgiveness that is offered to every sinner? Sure. But when they don't want that honor, but the honor of affirming their sin, letting them get away with it, funding it, do we give them honor for that? No. How do we know the answer is no? Well, the guy who wrote those words, when he gave the state the answer no, they beheaded him. And he did give the state the answer no. As did the other guy who mirrors these words later in the New Testament, Peter. This is actually addressing the boundaries of the Christian conscience in a hostile world, i.e. culture. This letter in this portion of Romans, is not written from the premise of the state. It is written from the premise of the individual, and more specifically, the individual believer. There's no, states don't have rights, because governments don't have rights. People do. Paul was writing this to Christians in Rome, not to Rome, the empire. We absolutely do not want Romans 13 articulated and interpreted as whatever the state says we must obey. That is unbiblical and and not to mention dumb in the era in which we are about to embark that has already frankly arrived. The greatest exegetical analysis of this, I have quoted it as many times as any work in my career not written by the founders or God, other than Animal Farm, and that's Letter from a Birmingham Jail, is is the living out of this. That's really what it is. It's Martin Luther King Jr.'s treatise on Romans 13. To white moderates who were making the Jeff Sessions argument. Well, just obey this, just obey the segregation laws till we get another Brown versus Board of Education. 
And Martin Luther King Jr. is like, hell no, I'm not doing that. There's, there's, there's just laws and unjust laws. Give Caesar honor when he's owed it and when it's deserved. Don't give him what he doesn't deserve, what isn't owed. And he goes deep into Catholic theology with Aquinas and natural law and things of that nature, citing all of those things. Even uses Blackstone's commentaries on the laws of England in his treatise. It is very important. We are in a biblically ignorant culture. We must make the right argument from the proper premise. What Sessions is saying about our immigration laws is correct. That's what the Supreme Court said the other day. The five people that voted yes basically said it's irrelevant whether we agree with the president's immigration policy. The Constitution gives him the power to do it. It's not our job. And the four people that disagreed said we don't care if the Constitution gives him the power. We'd prefer to have it. And when those four people get their way, they're then going to turn around and say, Romans 13 says you guys have to do whatever we tell you to do, right? That's the game. That's how it's played, right? We must, must, must make the right argument from the right premise. Otherwise, it will be hoisted from our own petards later. And you'll learn that it ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. The point of Romans 13, even though Christians often cite this as articulating what the role of government is, that is included. That is a proper exegetical conclusion of Romans 13. But we often cite Romans, this portion of Romans 13 as if it's that it is its primary purpose, and it is not. Just as the primary purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to tell you what's right and what's wrong. I mean, if you never steal from anybody ever in your life, but you don't keep the first and second commandment. That God is God and there is no other. Are you going to heaven or hell, Todd? Uh, we're hell. leaning towards hell. Hell, you're going to hell. Because what one was the first and second commandment? There, there, there is no other God. Don't worship other gods. Those, are, Right? Why are they in that order? They just did pin the tail on the dumb commandment. They did the wheel of commandments. <laughs> and this was the order that came out? No. There's an order. On purpose. God is not a God of chaos, but of order. This is a revelation. Jehovah 101, God's character. Rule number one, I'm God. Rule number two, anything else you worship isn't a God. So don't worship anything else or make anything else as an object of worship. Worship only me. Why are they one and two? Why are usually in any list one and two, one and two? Why? Because they're the best. They're the most best, most important ones. Okay. This passage of scripture does articulate the proper role of government. But that is not its primary purpose. Paul is not writing a civic treatise to the Roman Empire. This is not, hey, now that Jesus is risen, he is Lord, here's how you guys behave. That's not what this is. He's writing this to believers. So this is not primarily about what is the proper role of government. Although it does lay that out for believers so they know, its primary purpose is what's the primary role of the believer? How's the believer navigate pluralistic, hostile, indifferent culture, paganism? How do they do that? Paganism to persecution. How do they navigate those things? That's its purpose. Just as our Constitution's premise is not to, the Constitution doesn't define your rights. Don't ever say that. It defends them. You have pre-existing rights. That's what inalienable means. All right? 
Constitution has never granted a right to anybody. It's defended them. It's articulated them. But it doesn't establish them. And that's why it is written from the premise of limiting the power of government, not the individual. Same thing here. This passage of Romans, its primary audience is the believer, not public officials. Its primary proper hermeneutical conclusion is, how are we to live as believers representing a new kingdom, not of this world, Jesus said. And yet we're in this world and not of it at the same time. How do we navigate all these things? Give us some parameters. How do we do it? That's what this is. Questions, thoughts, dangling participles, Aaron. Yeah, I'm a um, couple couple things. I, I love hearing Ravi Zacharias's commentary on um, on Christ's words: "Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and render unto God's that which is God's." Because he holds up the coin and he says, "Yo, whose image is on this? Whose image?" And then Ravi Zacharias would say, "If he was writing that book." If he was writing these words down for posterity, he would have, he would have hoped Christ would have said, whose image is on you. So mm. in light of that, what Paul is talking about in Romans 13, you're right on the money, it is for us. It is not necessarily for the government. It is largely irrelevant what the government has to say about what the what agents of the government have to say about what the Bible has to say, because it is incumbent upon us as the believer to hold people accountable before God, knowing God's character and his commands for us. So, again, it's a different, it's a reframing of maybe how we think about um, government, because it is always about us. And again, we got into this conversation last week. Government um, ostensibly will be made up, maybe in our in our country of of believers as well. What I would encourage you to you know refer back to that uh, podcast as well. But again, to cut to to make a blanket statement like Jeff Sessions did, even though I'm 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 with you. I I think he thinks what he was doing uh, was a proper interpretation of Romans 13 to make a blanket statement about government in light of Romans 13 and how we should live in terms of that blanket statement is incredibly dangerous. We are first called to be citizens of Christ's kingdom as believers. And in light of that, that is how we view the government. It is lower down the totem pole, a lot lower down the totem pole, as you just pointed out, than our heavenly kingdom. And that's, again, something, especially in our day and age, is something we have to remind ourselves of daily as we watch the news unfold, as we watch developments in our culture. Our culture, our government, they are not the ultimate source of what is good and evil. They are called, by God's design, to carry out and punish evildoers Mm -hmm. as defined by God, who is the ultimate source of good. Romans 13, this passage, does not say government has unlimited power. It says the exact opposite. Government is referred to as the servant. It closes with, 
Give them what they're owed. Nothing less, but nothing more. It does not give government power. It limits its jurisdiction. You're reading it wrong if you don't see it that way. And if you don't agree with me, I present Todd as my first piece of evidence once more. How did the man who wrote these words live? How did his life come to an end? For if Paul agreed that these words mean the state has unlimited power, then he would have done everything Nero said. What do you have not? No, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Is that what he did, though? No. No. And that's why they cut his head off. Well, again, that's why I'm just so surprised that uh, this isn't more obvious. If, if, you t- if you took the time to connect the dots before you wrote... Uh, the letter, and this really isn't that vital concerning Jeff Sessions, but it's really vital concerning the fact that we're about to pick another Supreme Court justice. This rightly dividing the word of God should be transla- translated right over to rightly dividing what is a judge. Uh, we absolutely, and we will on the show, talk about uh, pro-life judges, uh, j- judges who uh, defend the family. But we will do that from the framework of what is a judge, what is a court, what does the Constitution say they're supposed to be. <laughs> we, they, it, it won't just be our emotional fever dream. It'll, it'll, we will have a bedrock to it. And that's what's important because it, 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 we go so quickly to it, wanting a judge who's going to defend the things we want them to defend, that then we start falling for snake oil salesmen, and we get in a position where we're even advocating uh, for at least a while for somebody like Harriet Myers, and don't think that might not happen. We need to be wise as serpents. And we need to understand the rules of the playbook. We need to not want to take shortcuts. So just as Steve was honest right now about what is a state, what is a government? What are its boundaries? What are its limits? And that's the way you can understand for certain what it is to be a citizen of that state. Uh, understand deeply going forward for the exact same reasons. It's the only way to get to the truth. What is a judge? If you, if, if, if you come to understand and define that accurately, both near term and long term, the, the odds are far, far better that we will have a civilization that can continue to stand the test of time. I don't do this a lot when it comes to believers in God's word because a lot of it should be pretty plain to us, especially if we have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. But in this particular area, I, I and, and I hope if you're listening, I'm not mad at you. I just get, I get fired up about this stuff, all right? So I'm just passionate, so I'm not angry. In fact, I'm very thankful you brought this to my attention because I want to keep having us reset this because this is something new to this time and place of Christianity. We've never had to negotiate these choppy waters before because we were the lifeguards. Okay? We were the we we were the life we called balls, we called fouls. Hey, you can't do that in the water. That's not bad. No, hey, no, you can't do it. We we were the we were the worldview that did this for you know 200 years around here. And we just got thrown into the deep end of the pool, unable to swim when we weren't looking. Okay, so this is new to our era. But on the other hand, so I'm going to cut a lot of slack where this is concerned. On the other hand, though, better get up to speed real quick. 
because you're much closer to a Nero on this continent being in charge than a St. Paul. So you better get going real quick. Get up to speed real quick. Pastor, if you're in an in this audience, have you negotiated these parameters with your people? And I don't talk about talking about getting political from the pulpit. Prepare them for a what, what, how they are to handle their business if there is a persecution to come. Are they prepared for this? Because the guy that wrote most of the New Testament you're preaching out of every Sunday, he thought enough of it to prepare his people for it, his flock for it. Maybe you should emulate that. Are they ready for this? Because it's coming. As Ray Bradbury once said, something wicked this way comes. And they don't have breaks, let alone know how to pump them. That'll do it for Theology Thursday here on Westwood One. Hey, click subscribe if you haven't done so already. Leave us a, a positive review if you haven't done that either. We greatly appreciate those of you who already have. And if you haven't done it yet and can, we would thank you for that as well because it helps us to get the word out uh, to even more people when they see that, uh, hey, this thing's kind of catching on a little bit. We are back at it again tomorrow with some Feedback Friday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.